Hier woont de Ruth Wollersberg. Jahr geboren 1927. I knew this kid here in Berlin, Farid. I met him in a martial arts school here. We joined at the same time, so we were white belts together. Me and this 19-year-old boy, Farid. He was wiry and slight and had the floppiest chalk of black hair that he was always kind of flipping out of his eyes. He walked on the balls of his feet, almost bouncing, he was so light, leaning forward, barely staying on the ground as if about to take flight. Sometimes he leaned so far forward, if he stumbled on something, he'd fall. So the trick for Farid, of course, was to never stumble. Deportiert, 1943. My friend, the Israeli architect Zvi Hecker, has said that when one is uprooted more than once, one is inclined to build a world to withstand destruction. Zvi was talking about architecture, but I wonder if we don't build that kind of structure in our minds sometimes too, and for the same reasons. in Auschwitz. Welcome to Artipus, art you can hear. Artipus visits Gunter Demnig's Stolpersteine, the world's largest memorial art project. It had been a few years since I had been on the mats, and I had forgotten what it was like to be a white belt. You sort of huddle together off to one side. Nobody knows anything or anybody. You watch the other students who move fluidly and with confidence, while you are very aware that you're rolling around the floor with all the grace of a wooden crate. So you help each other figure things out, support each other, understand each other. It creates a bond. It took me back four cities ago, to the beginning of my training, at the beginning of this century. It seems so weird. Berlin is my sixth city. Walking around Berlin is like walking through quantum time. The 1990s, pre and post wall, exists side by side with old 70s West Berlin pubs and 1960s East Berlin Plattenbau. Bridges built in the 1700s span the river from the stately old Altbau homes on one bank to the steel and glass geometry of Bauhaus office buildings on the other. Construction cranes are everywhere, buildings knocked down, built up, refurbished, repurposed, reopened. A thousand slices of time existing all at once 
shimmering in the tangle of Berlin's streets, each one as fragile as a moment, each one shining as long as it can before it disappears. And standing in between all these trembling moments of time is the war. In Berlin, if you stumble, it's on a cobblestone. Not on a loose stone in the pavement, but on the sun bouncing off a brass plate. You stop and you look. Here won't, here lived, and a name, a date of birth, a date of deportation, a date of death. Große Hamburger Straße 29 in Berlin. Hier wohnte Flora Aronsbach, geboren Flieg, Jahr geboren 1869, deportiert 1943, ermordet in Auschwitz. Little brass-plated cobblestones, the same size as all the rest, but shinier, more durable, meant to last. These are the Stolpersteine, and they are found all over the city and all over Germany, sometimes alone, but more often in clusters of two to five, entire families in one location, or groups of students in front of a school, or groups of workers from a former Brauerei. Stolpersteine means stumbling block, and you are meant to stumble on these. They are supposed to give you pause, maybe even a little pain, maybe even be something difficult to get over. Because these are people, the people who lived here, wherever you've stumbled, in their last freely chosen place of residence before being deported and exterminated under the Third Reich. Berlin is a city of monuments, enormous, towering monuments to the Soviets who died in battle, the massive gravestone maze marking the body count of murdered Jews, the cold cement block torture cells of homosexuals, the black pond that speaks silently of the deaths of the Sinti and Roma. Panels of the Berlin Wall pop up here and there, like those handfuls of ancient soldiers who march in military parades the last living witnesses of an old war we should never forget, but that's already fading away. And one day soon, the last of those old soldiers and survivors will disappear. There won't be anyone left to remember for us. So the monuments act as guideposts. Germany is the only country in history that has shown such profound and prolonged regret and made such persistent reparation for the genocide it's responsible for. All the histories that arose from the ashes of that war live side by side so Germans remember not only the atrocities of World War II itself, but the systems that led up to it and the iniquities that rose out of it too. The Soviet occupation of the East, the rebuilding of the West, the stumbling blocks of reunification, of opening borders, of tearing down walls.
After martial arts class, me and Farid usually took the same uban on our way home. Like most 19-year-olds, he spoke in a frustrating mixture of mumble and speed, and his German was much, much, much better than mine. I didn't always understand what he said, but what I got was he came with his family from Syria and had gone through Turkey to get to Berlin. In Turkey, he had gotten beaten up a lot for being Syrian, so he was learning martial arts because he never wanted to get beaten up again. Torstrasse, 223, Berlin. Here lived Emma Bachrach, born Nelson, year born 1860, deported 1942 to Theresienstadt, died 1943. When one is uprooted more than once, says my friend Zvi Hecker, one is inclined to build a world to withstand destruction. Zvi was talking about urbanist architecture, about how the 20th century drive of the futurists, nationalists, Zionists, communists, fascists, supremacists, to purify our own species has driven architecture and new technologies to produce glass-walled buildings and open pathways that puts the improved humans on display and under surveillance. All data is available all the time to those who see themselves as guardians of the human race. Once most of the eyewitnesses to history are gone, facts can easily get twisted. It all depends on who's doing the telling. Monuments can be repurposed. The Statue of Liberty, for example, can be renamed the mother of all monuments. Because monuments tend to commemorate large groups of people, the victors, the liberators, the heroes, the victims, giant chunks of humanity get lumped together in one representative block. The shimmering human valor and the trembling human suffering they're meant to commemorate just disappears. The Stolpersteiner returns people, individual people, with names and birthdays and addresses to the neighborhood they called home before being torn away from their daily lives, interred, deported, murdered. It's a different kind of memorial, small brass cobblestones exposed to the elements and existing only through the will to remember, like humans. The Stolpersteiner project was begun in 1992 by the Berlin artist Gunter Demnig. Demnig had already commemorated the 1940 deportation of 1,000 Sinti and Roma people in a public outdoor artwork in Cologne. But when the paint began to fade due to weather conditions and pedestrians, the artist looked for more permanent options. Demnig was interested in the Cologne deportation of Roma and Sinti, referred to at that time as gypsies as the last dress rehearsal for the later mass transportation of Jews to ghettos, concentration camps, extermination camps. Köpenickerstraße, 41, Berlin. Here lived Raphael Rudolf Baron, born 1850, stripped of his rights, suicide, 1940. Around the same time, he found himself in an argument with a local resident who had lived through the war, and who was convinced that no Sinti or Roma had ever lived in her neighborhood at all. Of course, 
Demney couldn't produce a Cindy aroma person from that neighborhood as living proof, so he did the next best thing. He researched the public records, found a Roma resident at that person's address, and engraved their story in four brief but undeniable lines on a brass-plated cobblestone so it would never fade. Name, birth date, deportation date, and death. He installed it just in front of the building, so the woman couldn't help but stumble across the life that had once lived there, too. As Russian artist Leo Tsui says, monuments are a kind of propaganda as well, even if, as in Berlin, the propaganda is meant as a warning to not repeat the mistakes of the past, like the moral of a fairy tale told by the Brothers Grimm. But the monuments in Berlin are so big, the city so saturated with them, They become easy to ignore, like inconvenient truths or uncomfortable realities. And who wants to be bogged down with reality? Tourists play hide-and-seek around the Holocaust Memorial, take videos of the video inside the memorial to homosexuals, laugh and smile around the black pond for the Sinti and Roma. They take selfies at the Berlin Wall, add their chewing gum to the panels at Potsdamer Platz, which is truly disgusting, by the way. And life swaggers along, leaning forward into the future until it stumbles and falls. Farid wanted really badly to be a hero, a badass martial artist. But he was so gangly and spastic, he kind of spazzed his way through everything, mistaking speed for skill. Because I had trained before, I shared what I knew with him and found ways to get him to slow down and really learn the stuff we were doing. I think he appreciated it. After a while, whenever he stumbled, he learned how to turn it into a role. After the first Stolperstein was laid, Demnik expanded the project to include all victims of Nazi persecution and embarked on a private campaign that has spread across Europe. As of January 2017, over 56,000 Stolpersteine have been laid across Europe, one by one, 18-centimeter brass squares trailing across 22 countries, like Hansel and Gretel's breadcrumbs. Only the breadcrumbs are people, and the trail is the path of fascism and its wildfire spread over the course of those six years. And love is not a victory march, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah, hallelujah. The Stolpersteine project has been going on for 27 years, making it the world's largest decentralized memorial. Like most things in Germany, the project is reassuringly organized. Of course, that penchant for organization can go to the wrong extreme, as every person remembered by a Stolperstein could personally attest, if they were alive. Here lived Betty Brosch, born 1868, deported 1942, to Theresienstadt, died April 19th, 1943. To install a Stolperstein, first an individual must be researched and documented. 
not actually that hard to do thanks to the German love of record-keeping. A distinct departure from the Soviets, who destroyed their records when vacating Lithuania, for example. It says something about a regime who are so sure of their righteousness that, even in the face of utter defeat, they still kept their records. Again, German organization. But today, turned around once again for the benefit of historians, researchers, and families who do, in fact, have a right to know. While federal governments are not directly involved in the Stolperstein project, Demnik has set up relationships with community organizations and museums to assist in the administration of the project. Local Stolpersteiner groups exist in every neighborhood of Berlin and across Germany. Around the rest of the world, things can be a bit more hit and miss. Nevertheless, the project persists. The Stolpersteiner and Stolperschwellen are paid for solely through private funding which removes the project from memorial estate propaganda and keeps memory on a human scale. The stones are paid for by local groups or individual historians, but never the families, the survivors of the person commemorated because, well, they've paid enough, haven't they? They've already paid in blood. If possible, Surviving family members or descendants are contacted for their approval. Demnich makes a point of always laying the first Stolperstein at a new location himself, although additional people remembered may be added by local councils or groups. In cases where very large groups of people were rounded up and deported, Demnich installs a Stolperschwelle, a stumbling threshold, in order to hold all the names. After a couple of months in the dojo, I received a surprise promotion. The instructor knew I had trained before, so on the one hand, it made sense. But for the other students who didn't know anything about me, well, I wasn't sure, nobody said anything, but suddenly people who had been friendly were distant, a little cold. The next time I trained with Farid, he said, Wow, you've only been here a couple of months, same as me, and already you're promoted. That's incredible and I understood he was letting me know what the others were saying, why they were distant and cold. And I understood, too, that by telling me what no one else would, he was also telling me he was still my friend, my fellow white belt. And for a time, he was my only ally, this 19-year-old forward slash of a boy. Gipstrasse 4, Berlin. Hier wohnte Gertrud Baruch, geboren 1876. Deportiert 1941 nach Lotz, Nitzmannstadt. Ermordet 1942. When one is uprooted more than once, says my friend Zvi Hecker, one is inclined to build a world to withstand destruction. Zvi, who has been uprooted himself many times, knows a thing or two about destruction and the different forms it can take. Littenstraße 3, Berlin. Hier wohnte Felix Band, geboren 1902, verhaftet 1939, ermordet 1940, Sachsenhausen. 
One day on the train home, I explained a different approach to a technique Farid had been having trouble with. He thanked me, then dug in his pocket and pulled out his monthly subway pass. Here, he said, thrusting it at me. Why are you giving me this? I asked. There's still 20 days left on it. Kubernikerstrasse, 41. Here lived Martin Musche Baruch, born 1920, fled 1938. There's a problem with my papers, he said. I can't go to school anymore, so I don't need this now. You keep it anyway, I told him. You don't want to get caught without it. You'll get fined. Fareed shrugged and put it back in his pocket. Unter den Linden 6, Berlin. Here studied Max Bayer, born 1906, deported 1943, murdered in Auschwitz. The next time I went to the dojo, Fareed wasn't there. Germany had just sent the first wave of refugees it won't accept back to their last places of residence. I asked about Fareed, and our instructor told us the same thing Fareed had told me that night on the train. There had been a problem with his papers. Fareed had been deported. I haven't seen him again. Almstadtstraße 24, Berlin. Here lived Frieda Baumann, born Langer. Year born, 1892. Fate unknown. Almstadtstraße 24, Berlin. Hier wohnte Josef Baumann, geboren 1890. Todesort, Samosch. Brunnenstraße, Rosenthalestraße, 1994. The Stolpersteiner I've stumbled across in Berlin are polished by foot traffic. They're never especially faded, but shine brightly among the other competing histories that make up the city. On Rosh Hashanah, Kristallnacht, and Pesach, Passover, some of them are strewn with flowers and candles, families or strangers paying homage, honoring their suffering, remembering the people they have lost, that we have all lost. They shimmer in the sun here, like sequins under spotlights, trembling and shining, as long as they have someone to remember them, as long as there is light. Corner of Friedenickerstraße and Weinbergsweg. Here lived Max Meyer Sprecher, born 1909. Arrested in 1939, he came to Auschwitz in 1942, he was on the death march in 1945, and afterwards he came to Dachau. Survived. Maybe there's a God above But all I've ever learned from love Was how to shoot somebody who 
It's not a cry that you hear at night It's not somebody who's seen the light It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah 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 Stolpersteine can be found in 1,200 towns and cities throughout Europe. To find Stolpersteine, visit the project's website at www.stolpersteine.eu. That's S-T-O-L-P-E-R-S-T-E-I-N-E dot E-U. Music used in this episode is from the soundtrack to the film Onibaba by Hikaro Hayashi and the original studio recordings of Jeff Buckley performing Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Special thanks for the voices of Jennifer Morrison, Ivan Chiarelli, and Anik Delphine reading from Stolpersteine in Berlin. Find artists and exhibits in your city and everywhere you go with Glarify, the world's first art map app the interactive global mapping tool that lets you locate artist studios, openings, and exhibits in your town and around the world. Become part of your local art scene. It's free. Glarify is an official partner of Artipus. Visit Glarify.com. Artipus is a proud supporter of Prana, the platform for the homeless. Prana is a digital platform bridging the information gap between volunteers, organizations, and the homeless providing direct connections to real-time information about food, shelter, clothing, medical help, and more. Help the homeless by helping Prana grow. Visit Prana at www.prana-deutschland.de. Artipus is written and produced in Berlin by Susie Kollek with sound design by Nathan Terry and broadcast on World Radio Paris in France, Indie Republic in Germany, and in the U.S. on 89.3 FM Chaos Community Radio. You can also stream us on SoundCloud or download us on iTunes. Just search for Artipus, A-R-T-I-P-O-E-U-S. And you can see photos and read transcripts of this episode and more at artipus.com. That's all for Artipus this week. I'm Susie Kollek. See you around town. <laughs>